We're so glad to have you here this morning at church. I believe that you're here for a reason, that God wants to speak into your life, that he wants to bless you. And we're beginning a new series today in the book of James. So if you have a Bible, uh, the paper kinds or the digital kinds, you can turn to the book of James in chapter one. And we're going to hang out in James for the next eight weeks leading up to Easter. It's going to be a great time. There's a lot of good stuff here. It starts in verse one. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So this is the introduction from the author to the book of James. His name is James. And he is not the 12 disciples, James. Like, so there was John who had a brother named James, was one of the 12 disciples. This James was the half-brother of Jesus. They shared a mother. And so he is one of the people who've come to believe in Jesus, which is really interesting because at one point, James was a doubter, which you, you kind of understand. Jesus, he started doing his ministry. He said, I'm the son of God. I'm the long awaited for Messiah. And James was like, bro, you're crazy. <laughs> Telling us you're God, you're, you're the Messiah. Come on, man. He didn't believe at all. And, and you understand that. Like if you have siblings, one of your siblings pops up and is like, hey, I am the son of God. You'd be like, you are crazy. You are insane. I, I know that you're not right in the head. And understandably, it actually says in the Bible, in John 7, it says that his own brothers doubted him. His family doubted him, which is just kind of cool. It's one of those things that, you know, like if the Bible was made up, they wouldn't write something in there like that. They wouldn't say his own family doubted him. His brothers doubted him. They would have made it sound good. They would have tried to smooth it over. But no, it just is honest. It said they didn't believe in him. But then something happened that caused them to believe. Well, what, what could cause you to believe your sibling was, in fact, the son of God? I don't know. Maybe him dying on a cross, going into a tomb for three days, and then rising again. When he comes back to life, he walks out of the tomb, and you see the scars in his hands. And you're like, yeah, okay. Maybe you are the son of God. So James becomes the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was the epicenter for Christianity. And he was a devout follower of Jesus. And he had the nickname Camel Knees because apparently he prayed so much that he developed calluses on his knees and they called him Camel Knees. Uh, some of you, that's a good nickname you could introduce for your wife, maybe at home, you know, Camel Knees. Don't, don't do that. And... We know that James was probably the first New Testament book written. The earliest New Testament book it was written seven to 12 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And James is written to a largely Hebrew Christian audience. So he writes to people who had been Jews primarily, and then they came to faith in Jesus. And so you have to understand that because he's not writing to them trying to convince them to believe in Jesus. He's not writing to them trying to explain salvation. He is explaining for them how they can follow Jesus on a daily level, how they can live their lives in a way that honors God. And so he'll talk about faith a lot and he'll talk about salvation, but he's not talking about the kind of faith that saves. Like when we place our faith in Jesus, we're saved. We're saved by faith alone through God's grace. He's not talking about that kind of faith. He's talking about the kind of faith that allows you to follow Jesus day by day and live it out in your life. He wants to help us act like Christ. Now, the main message of the book of James is this. If you're going to call yourself a Christian, then act like it. 
That's a good message for us to hear sometimes, right? He just gets right to the point. He introduces himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word that's used there for servant actually literally means slave. He says, I am a slave of God. I have voluntarily placed myself under his leadership. My life no longer belongs to me. It belongs to God. I'm no longer free to choose my own way. I'm only doing what God commands me to do. I only want to follow him. To some people, that sounds extreme, but being a slave to God is actually the ultimate form of freedom. And he says, I am going to follow Jesus with everything that I have. And if you live with that kind of mindset, you will find that God does amazing things through your life and in your heart, saying, God, you completely have everything that I am. I'm all yours. I'm not holding anything back. So James is going to be like a wise grandfather figure for us. Because this book is really considered a book of wisdom. And maybe you had a wise, godly grandfather that blessed you and spoke into your life, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you had no grandfather figure in your life. Maybe you did, but he wasn't good. Maybe you did, but he was not godly. James is that guy. I had a great grandfather. I think of my mom's dad, Grandpa Arnold Rosenboom. He was a guy of German stock. He was good looking. Reminded me of John Wayne meets Billy Graham. He was a farmer in Missouri. Dude had a John Deere tractor. He worked hard. He loved his family. He loved God. He was full of practical advice and wisdom. It's like if you could have a grandpa, you wanted that grandpa. If he, he would be cast in the movie about awesome grandpas as the prototype. So I don't know if you had one like that, but if you didn't, Grandpa Jim is here to give you some practical and godly advice. And he's going to talk about all different types of topics throughout this book. So it's going to bless you. It's going to change. If you get bored easily, hey, just wait for next week. The topic will change. I love this book. It's a great, it's a great uh, source of truth for us, and it will bless you. Verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for your word. We want to receive it, so allow us to. Allow us to understand it and apply it to our lives. Let the Spirit's voice be clear to us, and we want to take this word and let it find good soil in our hearts so we can grow to be more like Jesus in every way. In your name we pray, amen. So I love this book. It talks about a lot of things, but this week we're talking about having joy in trials which is a little bit counterintuitive, right? I think about the beginning of my professional career. As a young guy, I became an officer in the Army, so I was a young second lieutenant, and I went to my first unit, and my commander, Captain Stone, was his name. He was just an awesome all-around guy. 
His name was Captain Stone. I mean, come on. You can't make this stuff up. Like, he was a real-life action figure. Like, the guy was tall. He was athletic. He was muscular. He commanded your respect. It's like, I want to be like that guy when I grow up. But Captain Stone was tough, and he was tough on me and the other officers in our company. Um, Man, there were some times I tried to pull some moves, you know, and get away with some things, and he'd pull me aside, and he would just nail my butt to the wall with some choice words. I think some of the paint actually peeled off the wall. Um, And, and, you know, at the time, I'm like thinking, man, this is brutal. This guy is so harsh. But it allowed me to learn some really valuable lessons really quickly. I learned I can't can't cheat. I can't cut corners. I got to think about people who are following my leadership. And I got to do the right thing because they're looking to me. And I remember a lot of different lessons I learned the hard way with Captain Stowe. Um, One of the things I noticed about him was that he was not very generous with his words in expressing appreciation and affirmation. Everybody likes to feel appreciated, right? You know, you do a good job and you want to get recognized for it. But I worked for Captain Stone for for a long time and he didn't really ever say, hey, thanks or that's great. And and I, I was doing a good job, but I never really heard about it. So I remember the day I've been working for him for about a year and a half and following his leadership, and I think doing a pretty good job. And one day, I remember, I don't even remember what we were doing, but I remember he turned around, like clear as day, and he just was, good job. And I was like, what? (laughs) Is he talking to me? Like, like, be still my heart. I think think he just told me, good job. And, And you know, I went through a lot of stuff that was difficult during that time in the army. I mean, I was, Spending time hungry and time cold and time away from family and time in difficult situations that I could have easily said, man, I got I got all this stuff I got to deal with. And I got this really tough boss and he's such a jerk and he doesn't appreciate me. And I'm, ho- I'm hungry. I'm cold. And this is so hard. And, and I could have complained about it. And I'll just be honest. I did complain about it. But see, now I look back. Now I can look back on the other side of those trials and see that God was doing something in my life because there was going to be a day that I was going to become a pastor. And God knew I needed to be ready because, <laughs> man, we have a gen- just a generous church, encouraging, loving people, and it's easy to pastor this church. But see, a lot of people come into the church and they're not easy to deal with. And, uh, you know, they can, be, they can be difficult. And then there are times when, you know, like anyone, you feel like you do something and you don't get the thanks that you wanted. And, and then people, especially young pastors, but people in general can, can sometimes chase after approval and chase after affirmation. And if you get a leader chasing after the approval of people, he will just run right off the edge of a cliff. If you try to make everybody happy, you'll ensure that nobody is healthy. And so God was teaching me, you can't only do a good job when you get recognition and thanks. You need to be faithful and work hard and know that my approval is all that matters, right? God was helping me in advance at a young age to prepare me for a greater opportunity of responsibility later in life. And that's why Grandpa Jim is trying to teach us that when we face trials and testing, we should consider it pure joy. It's counterintuitive. So the title of this message is, My Trials Are Training Me. My Trials Are Training Me. 
This letter of James is written to Christians who were scattered around the world, and they were all going through a time of persecution and suffering. Many of them were being persecuted, arrested, beaten, even tortured for following Jesus. Many of them were extremely impoverished because they had lost their jobs for being Christians. And here's Grandpa Jim coming into the scene with his wise voice and essentially saying, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) And you think, man, come on, is that really all you've got for me? I'm going through a hard time here. But then we see this message is repeated by guys like Peter and guys like Paul who also went through incredible hardship and trials. And they all say, rejoice whenever you get to suffer like Jesus. Because when you get to suffer like Jesus, it's going to result in a great reward for you. Old Grandpa Jim considered it a joy when trials come. He's crazy, but like a fox. He was wise and experienced. He had seen some stuff. And in case you think, well, easy for him to say, he went on to be killed for his faith in Jesus. So whatever you're going through, if you have not yet been killed for your faith in Jesus, then Grandpa Jim's got a pretty good position to speak from, okay? He has been there and done that, and so we should listen to what he has to say. So here's what you need to know. If you're going through a hard time, this is what God wants for you, and this is what he's working in your life. This is why you can consider it joy. God gives us a sage attitude. This is what we want to gain. We want a sage attitude. I like this word sage. It means profound wisdom. God gives us an attitude that is only possible when you have profound wisdom, an attitude that can take joy in trials. Now, wisdom is the practical uh, application of spiritual truth to our daily lives. That's what it is. Wisdom is able, the ability to take spiritual truth and apply it to your daily lives. It is not natural to gain wisdom. It's supernatural. Because you can have knowledge, but not have wisdom. On the other hand, you can have a lack of knowledge, but still have wisdom. That's because wisdom does not come from a textbook. Wisdom comes from God. This is why it says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Not it might be given to you. He gives generously to those who ask for wisdom. Now, I don't know about you, but as far as I'm concerned, I lack wisdom. So I ask God all the time, God, I'm asking you for more wisdom. Have you ever thought about this? Have you prayed like this? Did you know you could pray like this? And just say, God, I'm asking you for more wisdom. I want to be wise. And God, he gives generously to all who ask without fault. That means he's not going to hold your past against you when you ask for wisdom. He's not going to say, well, now you're asking for wisdom, but I saw the stupid decisions you were making last week. No, he gives generously. You don't have to prove yourself to get wisdom. You don't have to read the Bible through a hundred times. God will give you supernatural wisdom that you could have never gained on your own if you ask If you ask, but it does say, it says you must believe and not doubt. Because if you doubt, you're like a double-minded man. Okay, what does that mean? That means if you come into church and you're double-minded, you're the kind of person that's like, yeah, I'm kind of trying this church thing, uh, but I'm also kind of doing my own thing. And I'll give God a chance. I'll see if he can make my life better. You know, but I'm also kind of doing my own thing. I know God might not approve of it, but you know, we'll take care of that later on down the road. 
And I, and I got some problems. I'm going to give God a chance to fix my problems. But if he doesn't fix them according to my schedule, then I'm going to go back to trying to fix them myself. I'll get some self-help from Oprah, you know, and she'll help me. Some of you have been double-minded. And if you live double-minded life, a double-minded life, you will be unstable and like a wave that is tossed about by the winds. You need to be stable. You need to say, I'm asking God for wisdom, which means I recognize he is the source of truth and wisdom, him alone, and that's where I'm getting it from. I know I'm all in. I'm all in. That's where I'm looking to for hope and for guidance. This is what you need to do in order to have joy in trials. You have to have wisdom. So what does a sage attitude look like? A sage attitude says, I can consider it pure joy whenever I face trials. Verse two said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. I mean, you gotta be pretty wise to be able to consider it joy that you're going through a trial or a time of testing. You need wisdom. So first I want you to notice is the word consider. It says, consider it joy. Consider it joy. That it means you gotta think about it and think of this situation you're going through, and then you need to come to a place where you have joy. In other words, it's a choice to have joy in trials. It's not natural, it's supernatural. To have, it's easy to say, man, I take joy in being a follower of Jesus when your life is going well. But when things are not going well, you gotta choose to have joy. It's easy to say, I trust God when things are going well really nicely. But when things are not going nicely, now it takes faith to trust God. So if you want to have joy in trials, you're going to have to know this is a choice, but God will help me to choose. As I gain wisdom, I'll be able to choose to have joy. Here's what you need to know about wisdom. Wisdom tells us that it's not a matter of if, but when we face trials. So maybe you think about testing and trials. You need to know the Bible clearly tells us that we should expect to face trials and tribulation. We should expect hardship in our life. Now, this isn't being negative. It's not talking about having a negative attitude. God does not want you to think negative and expect bad things to happen to you in, in a negative way. Like, you know, some people are just negative thinkers. You've been around them. Nobody wants to be around negative people, right? The glass is half empty. It's raining today. I'm going to have a terrible hair day. It's sunshine today. I'm going to get sunburned. You know, it's like everything's negative to negative people. That's not what God is talking about. He's not saying you should expect disaster, but you should not be shocked when trials come into your life. That's why I said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Not if you face trials, but whenever. It's going to happen. You can still speak life. I want you to speak life over yourself and say, man, I'm going to have a great day. You can wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to have a great day today. I believe it. You can say, 2018, I believe, is going to be the best year of my life. I want you to speak life over your family and say, God is going to get a hold of my kids, even if they're crazy right now. I know he's got a plan. My marriage is going to get stronger this year. So speak life. But wisdom says, expect trials. It says in 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. That's what we do, isn't it? Like we, we go through trials and we're like, what's going on? Why is this happening to me? I'm a Christian. But see, the problem is some people, they become Christians and they treat Jesus like he's a lucky rabbit's foot. And they think, well, if I become a Christian, if I go to church, then God's going to stop bad things from happening to me. But that's not how it works, is it? 
I mean, you know that's not why people become Christians. Like, you maybe you came to church once and you thought, okay, I'll go to church because then God will stop bad things from happening to me and he'll make my life easy and perfect and everything will be all good. And then you found out that's not the way it works, right? He says we should expect fiery trials and it's gonna come, they're gonna happen, but we know this is not something that should overwhelm us. Jesus told us in this world, you will have troubles. But he said, take heart. In other words, be of good courage in your heart. Uh, You should be okay. You should take comfort in the fact that I will overcome the world. Jesus said, you can take heart. I have overcome the world. So we know trials will come. They should not shock us. And we know we're not alone. We're not alone. God will be with us. He will help us through. And that you're not cursed if you go through a hard time. People take on this attitude like, oh, I'm cursed. You're not. You live in a fallen, cursed world, but you're not cursed. See, we need to understand this truth that God created the world perfect and there would have been no suffering or pain or disease or hardship. But when mankind chose to sin and brought the curse of sin upon the world, all these things came into existence, which were not part of God's original design. But then Jesus came to save us from the curse of sin. And when we place our faith in him, we are saved. But during this life, we're still being saved from the curse of sin. Because you live in a fallen world, you will still experience some of the effects of the curse of sin in this life. But ultimately, you will be completely saved from the curse of sin because Jesus is going to return and he's going to recreate the world in a way that has not been tainted by the curse of sin. So you've been freed from the curse of sin, you're being freed from the curse of sin, and you will ultimately ultimately be completely freed from the curse of sin. So you're not cursed. This is a cursed world, but God is going to set it right. Wisdom says this, don't deny emotional pain. In other words, it's okay that you feel emotional pain when you go through trials. When Jesus found that his friend Lazarus had died, he encountered Lazarus's sister Mary, and she was weeping. And he did not rebuke her and say, what are you doing? Don't cry. Be happy. He says he wept too. He, he, he was feeling that same kind of emotional pain that we feel when we go through trials. It says this in Hebrews 12, verse 11. Now, all discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. But later it produces the fruit of peace and righteousness for those trained by it. So one of the things that James is telling us is that trials are discipline. Not discipline like being spanked by your dad, which I'm a, I'm a big fan of. But... Discipline like training, training which makes you more effective and more prepared for what is before you. And it tells us in Hebrews that discipline seems painful at the time, not joyful. When it's happening, you're like, ow, ow, this is hard. I don't like this. But then over time later, it will produce the fruit of peace in your life. That's why God allows us to be disciplined. He disciplines those whom he loves. And that's what this is talking about. God uses your trials to train you. When you're young in faith, you're going to feel the emotional pain of hardship. And so the sign of spiritual health when you're young in your faith is that you can be honest about your pain. You don't hold it in and try to hide it. But then as you mature in your walk with God, the sign of your spiritual health is that you can be joyful in your pain. And you'll get to the point where other people won't even be able to tell you're going through a hard time. Not because you're being fake, but because you've gained wisdom and you've learned how to have joy in trials. 
God gives us a sage attitude, an attitude that's only possible with wisdom. Here's the next thing. God grounds us with sustaining truth. He keeps us grounded with truth that sustains us. And that's what we need. We don't want to be unstable and tossed about by the wind, the storms of life. We want to be grounded in the truth. So God gives us truth, keeps us grounded. Today is my sixth wedding anniversary, me and Amy. My wife, she is the best. And God has blessed us with just the most amazing marriage so far beyond anything that I would have ever expected or hoped for. My wife is my best friend, and so I love being married to her. Um, she's just incredible, and we just love each other more as time goes on. So happy anniversary. I love you. And we believe that our seventh year is going to be our best year yet. And God is doing great things in our lives. We love being married, but we have faced trials and testing during our time being married, like everybody else. For us, one of the things we faced is that most of our marriage, we've been struggling with infertility, and we wanted to have children but have not yet been able to. And if you know anyone who's gone through that, or if you've gone through that, you know how difficult it is emotionally and even spiritually. It's such, a, it's such a sensitive topic for so many people because there's something in your heart there that you're wrestling with and you're dealing with. And, and for us, you know, I, I think to myself, like most people, why am I having to deal with this? I don't have time for this. What is going on? Like, you know, there's been times I've thought, God, I'm a pastor. I thought pastors didn't have to deal with trials like this, you know? Like, I thought pastors got to get out of trials free card. You know, like, we got things to do. Didn't you issue that to me when I got... And I'm going like, come on, this is tough. And then there's all kinds of things that you deal with emotionally and you wonder and you ask questions like, God, what are you, what are you doing with this? And, and you got to deal with people who, who ask you questions that are not sensitive. And you got to deal with people who give you suggestions that are stupid. <laughs> it's not easy. But I know that as God allows us to go through this trial, it's a test which will prepare us for greater things in the future. God has a plan, right? And so we know that we can have joy in the midst of this trial because we're grounded by truth that sustains us. And listen, we're not on the other side of this trial yet. It's so easy to get up and talk about the hard things you went through when you're on the other side and you've seen the miracle happen. But when you haven't seen the miracle yet, the only way to be grounded is to have a truth that sustains you. And so you can have joy in trials if you're grounded by the truth. So here is some truth you need to know. Truth, God is good. God is good even when my circumstances aren't good. It says in Psalm 119, you are good and what you do is good. There is no one good but God alone. Unbelievers enjoy the goodness of God. They don't even take, they take it for granted. The sun that shines, delicious food, all of God's blessings, they don't even think about it. They, they enjoy God's goodness even if they don't realize it. Christians can enjoy God's goodness even when our circumstances aren't good because we know the word of God reminds us the truth. God is good. Here's truth. God is sovereign over every circumstance. That means his sovereignty means he is in control over everything. Nothing happens to God which he has to react to. He is completely in control. 
It says that he's in control over the earth in Job 37. He brings the clouds to punish people or to water his earth and show his love. So God controls weather patterns for the good and the bad. He's completely in control. God's in control of seemingly random events. It says in Proverbs 16, we may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. Things that seem random, God's in control over even those. So if you go out and gamble and lose a bunch of money, maybe God's trying to teach you something. If you go out and gamble and win a bunch of money, make sure you bring God your tithe. <laughs> Although I officially do not endorse gambling. <laughs> but even things that seem random, God is in control over. Last night we had a service and a girl came up to me after church uh, and she said, this week I was going to go to my salon and get my nails done. But I left work and I got out of work late and I was driving home and then I realized I forgot my wallet at work. So I had to go back. And then as I was driving home, I missed my exit and I had to turn around. And by the time I turned around, I was so tired. I was like, forget it. I'm going home. It turns out that that night at her salon here in Mesa, there was a murder and she would have been there when it happened. See, sometimes the things that seem random in your life are actually God protecting you from disaster and blessing you and you don't even realize it. So next time you forget your keys somewhere, you can't find your stuff and you're running late instead of saying, God, why are you letting me go through this? It might be that God wants to keep you off the road knowing that there's going to be a drunk driver coming down the other way. He's in control. He's sovereign. He's in control over nations. It says in Acts 17, for one man, he made, from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. In other words, God is completely in control of what nations do. You don't need to stay up at night worrying about what North Korea is going to do or what China's gonna do, or what Russia's gonna do, because God is in control over nations. He has marked out their boundaries. He's established the dates that they will rise and fall. He's completely in control. God's in control of your life. It says in Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. There has not been one trial you faced in your life that surprised God. He knew you were going to go through that trial, and he's going to use it to produce more perseverance in you. That's true. So God's in control, right? Here's more truth. Your trials are not a punishment for your sin. It's such a lie that people believe from the devil. The devil will tell you, oh, you're going through this. God's punishing you for what you did. God's punishing you for what you did in high school. God's punishing you for how you treated your parents. God's punishing you because you haven't been going to church. That's a lie from Satan. Because if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, we clearly see that all of the punishment for our sin has already been taken by Jesus. God poured out his wrath for my sin onto his son, Jesus Christ. He has completely taken our punishment. That's why he deserves our praise. So we know if we're facing a trial, it's not punishment for sin. But this testing might be something that God is using to develop perseverance in us. It says in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Jesus took our curse and gave us his blessing. So your trials are not a punishment for sin. 
Here's truth. God will sustain me in my trials. I don't have to do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. God's going to get you through this. In Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So you might be going through a hard time, but God has not left you to go through it on your own. He's there. He is your refuge. He is your strength. He's a very present help in trouble. And that tells me, I think in a manner of speaking, God is even closer to you when you're going through a hard time. He's always there, and if you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God is dwelling inside you, but God is near to you in a special way when you go through a hard time. He's a very present help. He's in there creeping over your shoulder like, I'm here for you. I'm going to help you. We're going to get through this. Double-minded people, they're like a wave tossed by the wind, but those who have faith are grounded by sustaining truth. So God gives us a sage attitude. God grounds us with sustaining truth, and God grows us through a strengthening process. He grows us through a strengthening process. In order to gain strength physically, you have to push your muscles beyond what they can take. So when you go to the gym and you work out, because you made a New Year's resolution, and you, wor- and you work out, it's good for you, we should do it. Uh, what happens is your muscles, as you push them to their limits, they actually tear. The muscle fibers tear. And that's why you get muscle aches when you work out for the first time in six months because your New Year's resolution, right? And so what happens is your muscles tear and then your body generates new muscle mass from proteins and it fills in the gaps. So your muscles grow and then you tear them and they grow and you tear them and they grow. It's kind of a picture of how we grow spiritually as we face trials. That's why he said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. Verse three, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Building endurance is a process. It's not instant. You got to allow the work to be finished, which God is allowing you to go through. He's allowing you to face trials and testing. It stretches you. It's difficult. It might be painful, but he's in control. He knows what he's doing, and he's going to build your endurance. He's going to build your strength. So here's an example, okay? This is uh, from... Visconti Fitness. <laughs> this is called a slam ball. So you, the perp, you pick it up and you slam it down. You pick it up and you slam it down. And it's a good workout. You do this a couple dozen times, you're gonna feel smoked. So this thing's pretty heavy. It's good exercise. I got this and me and my wife, we like to work out together. You know, the more you do together, fire burns brighter. So. I'm like, babe, you got to try this. It's so good. But for her, she weighs like half as much as me. So she's like, it's a little heavy for her. So, okay, I had to get her one that was a little smaller. Okay, because I'm a good husband. I want to give good gifts. So give her one that's appropriate for her and her size. So this is for her. This is a little smaller. And I thought about how God, he'll let us go through trials and testing. And at the time, man, it just feels so heavy, so awkward, such a burden. You know, if I had to walk around with this all day, it would wear me out. It's wearing me out right now. Preaching's already tiring enough, and now I got to carry this burden on top of it, right? And so we go through stuff like this, and we don't realize that God is allowing us to face tests and trials so that it will build our strength. He's growing our strength through a process. And it's not so that later on in life, we can continue to face bigger and bigger trials. Because that would be a bummer. It's because he wants to prepare you for greater positions of responsibility and opportunity. 
so that later in life, when you deal with a trial, it might not be a smaller trial, but you just got stronger. That's the difference. And so the thing that would have just overwhelmed you before, now you can overcome that situation. Right? The thing that would have sunk you before, man, now you're stronger. So you're like, oh, I got this. Yeah, I mean, I'm dealing with some stuff. God, I still deal with stuff like everybody. I still go through trials and tests, but like, yeah, I got this. I got this thing all day. It's not a big deal. I've been through some things already. God's already built my strength. So when you say, man, this thing is tearing me apart, this trial that I'm dealing with, you need to know, let it tear you apart because God's going to fill in the gaps and you're going to grow spiritually stronger. Somebody last service was like, man, I like this pastor's preaching. He's got balls. <laughs> Big ones. For exercise. Come on. You need to know this trial is training me. Steel is hardened by the fire and the hammer. So when you go through a trial, you feel like you're going through the flames. When you feel like life is coming at you from all directions and you're just getting hit by all different types of things, you need to know God is strengthening me. He's allowing me to grow harder. This trial, this testing that I go through will signify that I am strong enough for the task at hand. When you go through a hardship and a testing, God is preparing you. And he's going to stamp you with that seal of authentication, which says this vessel has been tested. She is strong enough for its intended purpose. She can handle what I have for her. He can handle what I'm going to use her to do. I've put her through the test. I've put him through some testing. She's ready. He's ready. I'm going to get you through it. There's a lie that we'll tell ourselves when we go through trials and we'll say things like, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. Right? You get to this point sometimes where you feel like, I can't take it anymore. I need you to know that is a lie. It's a lie. Because the limit to how much you can take is determined by the source of your strength. So I need you to know you can take it. I can take it because my strength is found in Jesus. And Jesus is in me. So if Jesus can take it, I can take it. So will you say this to say, I can take it. Come on, you can say it out loud. Say, I can take it. You need to know when you go through some hard times, I can take it because Jesus can take it. And he's going to get me through this. The trial that I'm facing is actually training for my future. I thought it was a problem, but it's actually preparation for what's before me. So I can worship God even when I feel weak. I know he's in control and he's good and he's using me for his purpose. This is good. I can have joy even when I face trials. Let's bow our heads. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, that you sustain us in our hardship, Lord, that you strengthen us as our refuge and you're near to us in times of trouble. If you're here right now in this room and you say, I'm going through a hard time right now, I feel like I'm facing a test, I'm going to ask you to slip your hand up just between you and God. You say, I'm facing trials, I'm facing testing. I just want you to be able to recognize that before God. I want to pray for you. Lord, you know every person in this room and what they're going through. I pray that their faith would be strengthened right now. I pray that you will give them a supernatural peace in their hearts, that they will now have wisdom that comes from your word and is manifested from the Holy Spirit in our lives that allows us to have joy even in trials. God, we know that you're not going to allow us to be overwhelmed. You're going to help us to overcome these trials and testing that we face. Lord, I thank you so much 
through your faithfulness, that you're near to us, that you allow us to walk through life and face different trials, but to do it with joy. God, I thank you for the joy, the peace that we're gonna have in these trials, Lord. The peace that we have in these trials and the days to come will be a, a testament to people in this world about you, God, your strength and your love. So Lord, I pray that you'll help every person here with what they're facing, that you'll give them strength, and that you'll give them supernatural joy. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, say amen. amen. Can you stand to your feet this morning? God is so good, and we want to take time to just respond to this message and to give him some praise. But what I want to do first is just say, if you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus, that's the first step that you need to take. That's the step of faith that you need to take today. So let's just bow our heads for a moment, a moment of privacy between you and God. And I want to give you this opportunity if you know I need to surrender my life to God. I've been trying to do it my own way, and I know it doesn't work. I don't want to be double-minded anymore. I want to give my life solely to God alone and trust Him. Maybe you've been running from Him for years, and you say, I want to surrender my life to Him. I want to come home. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus into your life or asked for forgiveness, and you know right now God is pulling on your heart and saying, this is your day. I want to love you. I want to forgive you the way that you want to be loved and forgiven. If you're ready for that today, I'm going to just lead you in a prayer and you can just pray this with me and agree in your heart and God will hear you. Just say, God, I know that I need you. I can't do it on my own. I know that I need your forgiveness and I need you to come into my life and change me. I know that Jesus died in my place on the cross and he took my punishment and I know that he rose again and so he gives me his life and strength. Lord, thank you for loving me when I didn't deserve it. And thank you for giving me the strength to follow you every day from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, then you became born again, the Bible says. You're now saved and forgiven, and your name is written in the book of life. So we celebrate that with you, and we want to celebrate with you. So if you just prayed that prayer today, I'm going to ask you on the count of three to shoot your hand up. We're going to celebrate with you. We're not going to embarrass you, but it's awesome. It's too good to keep to yourself. One, God loves you. Two, don't be embarrassed. Welcome home. Three, just shoot your hand up. That's awesome. That's so good. So good. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else over here? Awesome. Thank you, ma'am. Come on, why don't we just sing this out? We're going to give God some praise, and we're going to declare this truth over our lives today.